Welcome, Antioch family. Thank you. Hey, I'm starting to see some old faces back again. It's so good to see some of you back again. That's so encouraging. And if you're new, we hope you feel especially welcome because you are especially welcome. And we're glad you're here with us this morning. We're a Bible-believing, note-taking church. So please pull out your Bibles. And anything it is that you take notes with, whether it's your phone or a pad or a journal, we're always trusting that God's got something to say to us that is worth writing down and worth remembering. And um, I'm going to just pray for us briefly before we start. Uh, Lord, um, the series of this message, is, it's been an interesting process in coming in. Um, they've been getting finished literally in the last minute. Uh, and I'm believing that that's because you got specific words for us and that from heaven you're speaking and so lord we just give you freedom this morning to talk to us to encourage us to charge us up and to fire us up set a fire in our souls this morning in jesus name we pray amen um and you may have noticed that um well some of you did notice that i'm very dressed up some might even say overly dressed um, and I have a very good reason for that, and I'm not going to tell you what that is. If you want to know, come to Marriage Encounter, and then you will find out why I am so dressed up today. So this week, we continue our series on Jesus, people. We acknowledged last week that the body of Christ, the big C church, that our impact does not seem to be matching our numbers. Our impact does not seem to be matching our numbers. We saw that in the 70s when a group of radical Jesus followers started living out their lives following a radical Jesus, the world noticed. And they wrote articles about those Jesus people. And it was very clear that they saw something distinctly different about these Jesus people that was distinct from the everyday Christians that they ran into in their everyday lives. I read a list of the descriptions of these Jesus people from a Time Magazine article, but I want to keep this one statement in particular in front of us today as we continue in our series. And that statement was this. If any one mark clearly identifies them, these Jesus people, it is their total belief in an awesome supernatural Jesus Christ, not just as a marvelous man who lived 2,000 years ago, but a living God who is both Savior and Judge, the ruler of their destinies. Amen. The ruler of their destinies. In 2018, we as an Antioch family, we were given a word over the body of this church. And that body was that we were to be Jesus people. And in this series, we're examining things that might impact our lives and impact our calling and empower us or keep us from being that call over our lives, from being Jesus people. We're doing this honest evaluation not to judge the church nor to be cynical about the church. The church is the answer for the world, the hope of the world, period. These honest assessments are not about other denominations. They're not about other churches, and they're not about other people. These are about me and you and us. This is just family time. And our excited evaluation on how do we live out this call that's over us to be Jesus people. I'm also sharing from my journals, as I shared, things that impacted me along the way. I will not possibly fully complete these thoughts in 35 minutes. I won't. Neither will I say them perfectly. 
I am simply sharing some questions, observations, and things that God gave me along my journey that I interacted with him on in hopes that in listening to them, that there'll be something there for you and that we will grow, we will grow to know God and discover more of God together. Last week, we saw that being converts to Jesus does not automatically mean that we are disciples of Jesus. If we want to be Jesus people, we must rejoice in all that conversion holds for us and offers to us and gives us. But, or I should say and, and we must continue the journey with the Holy Spirit in renewing our minds to the mysteries of God and to the wonders of God so that we are not only converts to Jesus, but we are disciples of Jesus. That's the call on this body, to continue on to the journey of discipleship so that we are Jesus' people. Another thing that I believe I believe must be true of us if we are going to be Jesus people is that we must live knowing that Jesus dying on the cross was more than just about getting us to heaven. If we are going to be Jesus people, we must believe that the gospel intersects, informs, and directs, and empowers every aspect of our lives for eternity, but also for today and tomorrow, and every day. My observation is that we, Christians, can make the mistake of stopping at the gift of heaven, just like we make the mistake of stopping at the gift of conversion. But there's more. I'm having a conversation with a friend of mine and sharing the gospel with him and started sharing my journey with Jesus and my interactions with Jesus and all that I'd learned from Jesus. And you know what he stopped? He stopped me one time, and he just said, hey, you're the first one, you're the first Christian who's ever talked to me about a relationship with Jesus. Every other Christian I know follows Jesus simply so that they will go to heaven. That was his observation. My friend was almost 50 years old, and as far as he knew, there was one reason to follow Jesus, so you go to heaven. Now that is what he was thinking. That must be what he's observing and what he's hearing. So I tested it. I began to ask Christian groups that I was teaching, groups that I interacted with, and I would just post it up on a whiteboard and say, so why did Jesus come? And the answers were 90% confirmed what my friend was hearing and believing. 90% of the answers were to die on the cross for our sins, to teach us about sin so we could repent and be saved, to pay for our debts so that we could go to heaven, to, pay, to teach us about sin and forgiveness, to shed his blood for our sins, take the punishment we deserved, take our sins on him so we could go to heaven, save us from hell. Almost every answer from every group was about heaven. It was about Jesus securing our destination. In reviewing my own life, I realized that every illustration that I was ever taught about sharing my faith revolved around heaven. I trained in evangelism explosion, and we went door to door sharing our faith. What was the question that we were supposed to draw people into? If you were to die today, where would you go? Is that a good question? Yes. 
It's a really good question. If you only have time to share one thing about the gospel, then that is probably the thing you need to share. But I fear that our focus on heaven then has left many Christians sitting out the now and just waiting for then. And that is not the full gospel. That is not living out the fullness of Jesus. That is not the fullness of the good news. It just isn't. If we're going to be Jesus people day to day, in and out, live with a purpose, live with purpose, live sacrificially, live unselfishly, and even live through times of long suffering. If we are going to be Jesus people, we are going to have to know, spend time in, and be encouraged, empowered by the fullness of the good news. Let me be clear. There's no good news without heaven. But according to the scriptures, according to Jesus, the good news is about far more than just heaven. So the title of this week's message is Jesus People. So much more than waiting for then. I want to acknowledge that I know that most of you listening here today, most of you in this church probably had been, if I asked you that same question about why did Jesus come, you would not have given only heaven answers. I am grateful that this body carries a strong kingdom ethic and belief in the kingdom. One of our core values and statements is that salvation is not an invitation, it's a destiny, or not a destination, it's an invitation. We have a strong kingdom value at Antioch. The kingdom reality is not new to many of us. It is certainly an ongoing focus of our teaching and always will be. But heaven touching earth, that's a huge concept. That's a huge paradigm shift. We're going to be talking about this a lot. Believing that the more we unpack it, the more we will be empowered to live it. So let's dive in. Why did Jesus come? What did happen on the cross that day? The Bible teaches us very simply that we have all failed. We have all missed the mark. We have all sinned and fallen short in some way. And God cannot be associated with sin and be close to sin. Jesus lived a perfect life and therefore was able to take our sin on himself and pay and die for our sins. That cleansed us by his sacrifice, and therefore kept us from the judgment and the wrath of God, and we will live out eternity in heaven. All of that is true and unbelievably great and grace-filled good news. But when the scriptures, but when we look at the scriptures, there is more to the story There's more of Jesus and more of the power of Jesus on the cross. And the cross comes when we look closer. Those sins I listed, the ones that we most often list when we think of, the lying and the cheating, those lies that we think of, those are moral failures. I'm going to borrow a term from N.T. Wright. He calls our moral failures our little s sins. Moral failures are certainly a problem, but there is a bigger problem behind those little s sins. And it is a problem that is much more difficult and much harder to deal with and much more powerful against us. 
to get a better understanding of the bigger problem, we need to go back to the beginning and look at me with look with me at this verse from Genesis 1, 27 and 28. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I don't know about you, but I carried a pretty poor opinion about being human. Being more human was not my goal. As a Christian, I associated humanity with fallenness, with failure, with sin. But that's not what the Bible teaches me. To be fully human actually is to be an image bearer of the living God. That is a good vocation. (laughs) That is something worth living for. To become more fully human is to live out a great vocation. But, but, we did turn away from God as he created us. We did. We rebelled against our creator, and indeed, we left our vocation as image bearers of God, and that's a tragedy. Every little s sin, though, but here's something that led me to understand Jesus better, to understand the cross better. It's not God's image bearers' moral failures that are the main problem. There's a bigger problem. Moral failures are a problem, to be sure, and they must be dealt with. But God's image bearers, moral failures were always the result of a bigger pull. The big S, sin, idolatry. We have always been pulled from God to idol worship. And in the very simplest way to understand idolatry, it just seemed to mean that we have a problem of always being pulled. And idolatry is anytime you worship anyone or anything other than the living God. And the big S sin is we get pulled into idolatry over and over and over again. Every little sin has a tether back to a big S sin. Every little s sin ultimately is the result of worshiping a different God. In my illustration last week, I shared with you about my struggle with money. The real big problem was not what I did to make more or to keep it. The real problem was that I worshiped it. Money was my God. Lust is ugly. But the real problem is that it points to a bigger sin of me worshiping my own body and believing that my body can be my God. That is the bigger and more powerful problem. Just like in the garden, in the power of evil and the purpose of evil and my own flesh fool me, defeat me, and draw me away from the worship of God. And that is what leads to death. Anytime we leave the worship of the one true God, it leads to death. That is the biggest sin that the people were not dealing with. That is the biggest sin that the people could not deal with. They simply didn't have the power to deal with it. 
The power and the pull of evil and principalities of evil have always pulled us away from worshiping God and they cost us our true purpose, our true identity, and they cost us our glorious vocation as image bearers of God. Those forces of evil, they are too numerous, they are too deceptive, and they are too powerful, just plain too evil for us to deal with. So the original bearers of God's image are pulled away. The ones in the garden are pulled away and all of creation loses the image bearer of God and darkness rules. And God in his mercy and his desire for reconciliation with all people, he sends out a rescue party. They're the Israelites. He picks a people and says, I will pick a new image bearer, a new group of people and I will send them and they will rescue all of creation and pull them back to me. The only problem is they went over the same cliff that the original people did. Yes, they lied. Yes, they committed sexual sins, but the destroyer was the big S sin. They too fell into idolatry time after time after time. No matter how many miracles, no matter how many rescues, no matter how many times they were forgiven, eventually another idol, another God would pull the rescue party away from worshiping God. And again, the image, of bearer, the image bearers of God were lost to the earth. The cost of no image bearers on the earth were empires like Rome, rulers like Rome. World powers took over what God was meant to rule and reign. And in their rule and reign, we lost love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and mercy and justice and honor and grace for all people. When we lost the rule and reign of God, we lost it for all people. And the world suffered and the entire creation groaned for the revelation, once again, of the image bearers of God. What to do? Send out another rescue party? Can't. They're not safe. They're not powerful enough to stand against the forces of evil. They are powerless against idolatry, against evil powers that will once again pursue them and overtake them. This is the history that leads us to the cross. This is the history that precedes the intersection of Jesus and the cross. And there's a vision cast of it, this kind of intersection. In Revelation 5, there is this picture where the whole world and all of heaven is groaning and weeping and crying because there is no one that can overcome what has happened. No one can overcome. And then it says, but wait, there is one. And in Revelation 5, Jesus the, the, the lamb and the lion of Judah steps forward. He can overcome. And it's into this history that that lamb and that lion steps in. It is far too little to simply take the vision that on the cross, Jesus took our moral failures upon him. Far too small to envision just taking our lies on or our cheating on. And that's what happened on the cross. It's small to vision. We must understand there was much 
more going on on the cross that day. Jesus took religion on that day. He took on the Sadducees and the Pharisees who taunted him and jeered at him and they judged him and they judged him by their law and they judged him as weak and they judged him as a fool and they judged him as in fear and they judged him that he was expendable. And Jesus on that day took on evil. The evil that, that always pulls us to the biggest sin. The evil that is the biggest sin. The power that we could not stand against. The power that we could not defeat. He went to the cross and beckoned them all come. Every evil that had ever been known to man, every evil that ever would be known to man, every temptation, every torture, every pain, every sacrifice, every humiliation, he said, bring them to the cross. And they tried to take his worship, but he wouldn't give it. He took it all on the cross. Jesus took on the empires of the world that day, not just Rome, but every empire that would ever rule the earth, every political party that would claim power, every political system that would claim power. Jesus took on the world and the world's ruling system. And the world said strongly, you want to see what we do to proclaimed kings? This is what we do to them. We hang them as slaves. The most humiliating sacrifice of the day. That's how we answer kings, with violence and physical torture. We have broken every other proclaimed king, and we will break you, Jesus. And every thinkable and unthinkable thing was poured out on Jesus that day. And the lamb stayed. The lamb stayed, and the lamb took it all. And he stayed until it was finished. And he proclaimed from that hill, it is finished. Our Savior went to war that day. He went to war for his creation and what he announced with his final words, but that we could not see when he announced that it was finished, was the arrival of the lion. In the sacrifice of the lamb, the lion came in. In the middle of the religious taunts, bragging and insults, and the crucifying him to guard their law, Jesus took victory by fulfilling the law. Jesus, the lion of Judah, defeated religion on the cross that day. We could not yet see it, but after beckoning all the evil to the cross, after bidding they do their worst, after staying faithful through every pain, temptation, and torture, after not giving up his worship for the one true God, his Father, he, the lion, disarmed evil and marched them in a public square, humiliating them before all of the spiritual realm. Colossians says, when he had dismissed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed them through him. 
And in doing so, Jesus destroyed every evil power and every, every that ever will deceive, tempt, overpower his people. And we were set free forever. There is now no power of evil that we cannot deny, defy, and destroy in the name of the Lion of Judah. And the worldly rulers that Rome represented, the ones that rule with fear, power, strength, injustice, and violence, the lion made a clear and resounding statement. Your rule, it's done. There is a new kingdom and there is a new king. And what us, his people, having defeated religion, having defeated every evil, and having defeated all the rulers of the world, what of us? We need to picture that on that day, the lion then went to that cliff that we went over and he picked us back up and he cleansed us off and he set us down and he set his temple in us, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he said to us, now go and live out your vocation as image bearers of the King." That's the good news. Go, show the world the kingdom of God has come near. And the kingdom of God was launched, never to be turned back. Isaiah says this in 9-7, there will be no end to the increase of his government or the peace on the throne of David or over his kingdom to establish, to uphold it with justice, righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The cross was never intended as an escape hatch from a fallen world. That was never its intention. On the cross was launched a redeemed world a new world, a revolution was launched on the cross. And if we're going to be Jesus people, we must always remember that on the cross, Jesus was not just suffering, bleeding, and dying to get us to heaven. He all, but he also launched his kingdom that day. We must carry the belief that as he bled, he bled for his kingdom just like he bled for us in heaven. As he suffered, he suffered to bring his kingdom just like he did as suffered to give us to heaven. As he was taunted, he took that so that we would bring the kingdom, not just so that we'd bring in heaven. We must carry the vision of our Savior and the lion on that cross that day and everything he stood for. What of that kingdom? What of that power? Did it come? Did we see it? Oh, yeah. It came. Almost immediately. I recommend a book, Who Is This Man? by John Ortberg, where he traces the history of the impact of the kingdom. And I need to tell you, it was so encouraging to me because the impact, it was almost immediate. History shows that almost instantly the values of the Roman Empire began to change and more reflect the new king. I mean instantly. 
It started small, but it became unimaginable, a culture that had no value in humility, only valued status position, began seeing their masters literally take towels, wrap them around their waist, and wash the feet of their slaves, imitating King Jesus. Instantly, women who had no value in the culture could not even give testimony in cases all of a sudden became the front and lead testimonial givers for this new kingdom as women were elevated immediately to the front. Children who once were only valued by their gender or their capability for work, a class in which, um, or the class in which they were born, children who up to that time were easily legally killed and disposed of if they were not wanted, were rescued by Jesus' followers and they educated them And why? They said, because Jesus had said, let the children come to me. (laughs) The kingdom launched that day has impacted the world in every corner, in every possible way, and it kept happening throughout history. A Methodist pastor, missionary, adopts the phrase, each one, teach one, starts a worldwide literacy movement. He becomes known as the apostle to the illiterates. He went to over 100 countries and developed primary reading tools for over 300 languages in obedience to the new kingdom. Sunday schools, they weren't started as an optional class for us churchgoers. They were started by a Jesus follower who knew that children in that time had to work six days a week. The only day they had off was Sunday. And So he started Sunday school to educate them, knowing that was their only way out. And eventually it grew into 160,000 volunteers that taught taught and educated and changed the lives of 1.5 million children, all in the name of our king. 92% of the first 138 colleges were started in the name of the king, including Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, Princeton, Medical attention to the poor, hospitals, Red Cross, all birthed, all birthed from the launch of this kingdom and what happened on the cross that day. Prison ministry was changed by Jesus' followers because all of a sudden forgotten prisoners now were visited by their friends because Jesus had given them value. When they came, they brought food. They brought extra food for some of the other prisoners and therefore started what was called the prison prayer. Lord God, please send more Christians to prison. I recently heard a historian, not a believer, proclaim this. It is impossible to reconstruct the world history without the Gospels and the writings of Paul. A non-Christian research team concluded that humility and its honor as a virtue owes its life solely to the Christian worldview. No humility value without the Christian world world. The more you know about history, the more you see the impact and the power of the kingdom of God Jesus launched on the cross that day, the kingdom we carry. I fear sometimes in the swirl of all the questions that we have all around us, even more now than ever, COVID uncertainty, race tensions like never before, and now facing what will most certainly be one of the most controversial elections that the world has seen, The sheer noise of discontent, disillusionment and accusation and even hate and doubt creeps in and we get weary. Have we finally hit a conflict? Have we finally hit a culture that the kingdom cannot overcome? And I fear 
that sometimes we forget our vocation or even worse, that we will surrender it. If there is never a time that we must not surrender our vocation, it is now. If there has been ever a time where the world needs to see the image bearers of God, it is now. That is exactly what we must not do. The kingdom of God was purchased by our king precisely for these type of moments. Creation groans for the revelation of the people of God. Who are those people of God? We are. We are. We are those image bearers now. But how? How do you live the kingdom? It sounds a bit overwhelming. Jesus gave the answer in Matthew 13. He goes through about five different parables, and all of them start with, the kingdom is like. In those parables are two. Two of the most memorable are the leaven and the mustard seed. Jesus says, basically, give me just a little leaven, and I'll change the whole loaf. Give me just the mustard seed of your life, and watch what I will do with it. It sounds difficult, but we must just give our lives and trust them to the king. How do you give your seed of life? What does that look like? I'm going to do my best. It's a great question. I don't have a really clear, concise, concrete answer to what that But man, I've wrestled with that question every day of my life. Over the years, I've cried out to God asking, help me live the kingdom. Help me. Am I living the kingdom? Help me, God. I don't see the kingdom. All of those have been a call in my life at one time or another. And I tell you and share with you just a few of the questions, the revelations, the challenges that God gave back to me that have established my kingdom life in hopes that maybe, maybe they will help you too. First was this question, Steve, are you willing to be a man of no reputation? And my answer to him honestly was, Lord, no. I wish I was, but I need some affirmation of my life from this world. And that begun the journey of the Lord releasing me from this life so that I can live for the kingdom. And side note, next week we're going to take a journey. Because this world, it disappoints in every turn anyway. So he was just saving me. Second question that he gave that was very impactful. Steve, if you want to live the kingdom of life and freedom, then you got to stop looking at them. Who? Brad, Janelle, Mark, John, anybody else but me. I was torn from the kingdom so often by comparing my life to someone else's life. And it stole my call from me. And we see that in the scriptures in John 21. Jesus is having this intimate relationship with Peter. He's giving Peter his kingdom call in his life. And he's saying, Peter, here's what you will do. Here's what you will do. And they're having this moment. And Peter's like, I am all in. I am all in. Uh, What about Austin? And you see this tender moment. I picture Jesus literally reaching up with two hands and grabbing Peter's face and say, hey, you 
just follow me. If you're going to live a kingdom life, you got to stop looking around. Because your kingdom life will not look like other people's lives. And comparison will kill your kingdom life. Don't compare. Next was this question, Steve. And this is a hard one. If it's only me who knows what you do for the kingdom, is that enough? And again, my answer was, I'm sorry, Lord, but no. And I said to him, isn't it okay that I want to be known as a great Christian? No. No. Even that is up to me. And you'll never be free until you let go of all of that. I, before I came to this church, I preached. I preached for 20 years. One of the hardest seasons of my life was when I left that position and I left my platform because according to the world, you have to have a platform to have impact. I never wanted to have more impact in my life than when I was called to walk away from preaching. I loved preaching. I loved the process. I loved everything about it. And I wept when I left preaching. And I was in a desert and a wandering for two years and wondering, what was this all about? At the time that I wanted most to live the kingdom, I now have no voice. I now have no place. And it's a long, beautiful story, but one morning in my journal, I started writing, and God began to fill into me to be able to say, Steve, you're not seeing it correctly. I need people living the kingdom more than I need people preaching about the kingdom. Far less glory, far more impact are you in. And it was that journey that led me to Antioch. And the most kingdom I've ever felt or experienced in all my life. And it came out of me questioning whether or not it was the right move. We have to stay in it and ride it out and trust God. If no one else knows, that will be enough. The last one I want to share was Andrew. Andrew gave this one to me. And it maybe is the most powerful release of all. Andrew preached a message at the beginning of the start of this church, and he said he was wrestling in all to do with this church and around this church and for this church. And all of a sudden, he said that God said to him, Andrew, give up the results. All I'm asking for you is to be faithful. And he led us into that day to the question about saying, instead of measuring results, just ask yourself, are you being faithful? And you know what's great about faithfulness is I can't judge your faithfulness. I can't judge anybody else's faithfulness. I can only encourage you into that faithfulness. This is why we encourage time with God. You will not know what God is telling you unless you're spending time with him. And I don't get to judge it, but I am going to say, Brad, have you heard God? And are you being faithful to what he called? And we have the release from Jesus because Jesus himself said, I didn't do everything. I just did what the Father gave me to do. We measure results our ways, and yet we're told our ways are not God's ways. Seems pretty silly to be hung up too much on results, doesn't it? I'm so grateful for so many things that I've learned, but that was perhaps the greatest. The kingdom launched on the cross by our king. I've seen it. I've seen it in powerful ways. 
I was over in Ukraine and they ministered to disabled children and all of a sudden they were going to have a ball for children that were 16 and graduating from camp. These children hardly ever got out of their home. I shouldn't call them children. They were 16 or 17 years old. They had no hope of ever having a date in their lives, ever having a party in their lives. But somehow this group of young believers, 20 to 22, recreated a camp that I don't know how they did into a ballroom. And they threw them a ball. And they set out a red carpet. And then they got dressed. There weren't even any showers there. Long gowns, heels, tuxes in Ukraine. I don't even know where they found them. And I was rooming with a guy who had lost all his fingers and all his digits to a burn. And so he couldn't button his shirt. But he came to me and asked me to button his shirt because his date was coming to pick him up at the door. And a stunning young woman came and escorted him with flowers to this ball. And I stepped into that cafeteria, transformed into a ballroom. And one by one, those people were wheeled forward, pushed forward, walked forward, hobbled forward. And every character trait that had been observed about them was spoken over them. That wasn't an act of service. That was heaven touching earth. That was the kingdom. And I've seen it here. I've seen it in couples that took on foster children when it darn near overwhelmed them and they still stuck in it. I've seen life group leaders lead life groups when they are waiting on a prayer for their own but still pouring out to other people. I've seen it when Barb Brown just, you can't go anywhere where Barb Brown hasn't reached out and babysat for somebody so that they could do something in the church. That's kingdom. I've seen Tracy Everhard in the Lions class. That's not a job that is kingdom. We must see the kingdom. The truth is we wake up every day with this realization. Every interaction is a kingdom action. Every opportunity is a kingdom opportunity. And every time that you put a smile on somebody's face, every time you give them honor, every time you give them grace, you are an image bearer for the king. And that is something to live for. Jesus, people, it's so much more than just waiting for then. Let's pray. Will you stand with me? We like to respond and all I want to do is a simple invitation for some of our prayer team be forward is that is there something holding you back I know I'm afraid of a lot of this I love that song that said start a fire in me I need that fire something holding you back something you're afraid of something you need to hear something you need to give need an encouragement that's what this time is for. Doesn't matter what it is. This isn't a counseling time. Nobody's going to ask you. But if you need prayer, this is your time. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this word. And most of all, for all that happened on the cross that day. You are the lamb and you are the lion. And we are grateful for you. And we want to live grateful for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Not by bread alone, not this earthly home, but by every word that comes from you. You are life itself, and no tongue can tell the glory of your name.
good service. <laughs> hey, I wanted to make sure that if you don't already have a relationship with Jesus, just that you've been given that opportunity. It's honestly really, really simple to start a relationship with the Lord. You know, the Bible that just says that if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. So I just want to simply lead you in a prayer. I thank you that you probably know already in your heart if this is you, if you need to pray that prayer. But church, everybody, can we just join them uh, and just repeat after me? Jesus, I trust you with my life. Jesus, I want to give everything to you today. I want to repent for the way that I've been living my life. Today, I choose to take my hands off the driving wheel, and I choose to give my life to you. Jesus, would you teach me how to follow you? Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you just pray that prayer with me, we're so excited for you. That's the best decision you could have made. Um, and honestly, we really want to walk with you. We want to put some resources in, in, in your hand and just help you to follow the Lord. So uh, if that's you, I want you to go ahead and fill out that I kind of like it here card. Bring that to the connect area. It's right out that door. Just enter right after you leave. Uh, but honestly, guys, if you are new since quarantine, that connect area is for you as well. We would love to help you plug in in any way, get you involved in community. Just learn your name and answer any questions that you might have and also give you a really cool gift. It's real great. So that's all that I have for you guys. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us.